This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Blue wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Embiid! Welcome, everybody, to a new postseason emergency episode of the New Slant Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck. This week, our podcast being brought to you by our friends at TheraOne, NFL Sunday Ticket, and, of course, our longtime friends at Bet Online. So thank you to all those wonderful people for helping to keep our lights on, pay our bills. With me, as always... Happy about a head coach being fired. Pissed that there's not more being done. My buddy, my pal, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you? I was in the middle of ordering a pizza as all of the news dropped out. We're recording this about 5.30 on Monday evening, so everyone now knows the deal about Elton Brand, Sixers organization, Brett. I'm going to stress eat my feelings, and at a moment's notice, I may need to go grab my pizza. So be an adventure for everyone right now. Um, so the news that Brett Brown has been fired just dropped, obviously, uh, it's something that we certainly, I have been expecting for, you know, some time now. I actually did a lot of my work on this in advance in terms of looking forward and, uh, who might come in, but I guess like snap reaction, Seamus, how do you feel with with the the knowledge that's come with that Elton Brand is probably going to lead uh, more changes within the front office in conjunction with owner Joshua Harris? You know, the Brett thing was a long time coming. Obviously, everyone is incredulous in terms of praising him. Oh, he's this he was this great guy. He was this class act, which I don't disagree with, but I think it's sometimes it's like people go a little too over the top when they're saying, you know, oh, Tobias is a nice guy, but his contract sucks and he's a bad player. Like, at what point, this is a side tangent, can we just assume people are a good guy and then if the person sucks, then we could just say that they, like, they're a shitty person instead? We don't have to say everyone is a good guy before we criticize them. You know, Brett Brown's done a bad job. You're allowed to say he's done a shitty job this year. Would you agree with yeah. that? Yeah. He has not done a good job this year. Like it, I think the like, extent to which this conversation has swung has been over the top and has taken too much of the heat off of the front office that has taken what was like, you know, I, I think it's it's never easy to make the leap from, okay, we're young and we have talent to being a contender, but this situation was better set up to do so than I would say – 90% or greater of teams in that position. And not only have they not gotten closer, they've actively gone backwards and sabotaged, you know, their short-term chances. 
in that respect. And so I think that is very important context. Like, yes, I, I acknowledge all the problems that had accumulated with Brown being the coach. I agree that it was time for him to go. But I think there's a lot of uh, either revisionist history about the job he did or a misunderstanding of what he's actually responsible for as the head coach, I would say. So who are the people doing this? Is it just like people, random people in your mentions, the people who aren't, you're, you're saying, or people on Twitter, I feel like there's this straw man of this person who's only blaming the coach and not the entire organization. Because it seems like everyone I know would rather have, if it was an either-or scenario, would have much rather fired the front office and kept Brett, but would gladly take both things. So who are these people that are saying it's all Brett's fault? I think it's a lot louder of a contingent that is anti-Brett. And I think when you go outside of our It's not mutually exclusive, though. uh, Seamus, if you go outside of our bubble on Twitter, which is like the most involved and active basketball fans that there are, most people like if just for example if you were to go on to an instagram post that the sixers make within the last two weeks and you just scroll through and again this is very unscientific and you scroll through the comments i would say 75 percent of them are strictly about brett brown and i would imagine do you think they like want to keep the front office no i think they are much more inclined to blame brett and say look they have these expensive players who were good elsewhere and it's entirely the coach's fault i absolutely believe that that's true now i don't think like the people you and i tend to associate with and regularly converse with take that stance but i think as like a a way to penetrate our own bubble is to look places where i don't tend to hang out and talk to people and i will say that it's a lot more of that there again i none of this is an excuse for brett i i 100 agree with the idea that he needed to go and i have laid that out in writing in podcast form on the radio wherever i can make that point i just think that like there are a lot of people who think that it's like you know you bring in another coach and a better coach even and that's going to fix everything and i still think there's a lot left to be done i guess i'm more interested in like i what is your view on the the elton component of it because i want to like i want to hear what you think of that from the outside and then i can tell you i guess while understanding that the moves have not actually been made yet but what i know about the front office and so forth Sure, there are a couple different components to this. It looks like Elton Brand is staying within the Sixers organization and will still have some sort of senior executive role. Uh, Way Woj said it seemed like he'd still be overseeing some aspects of basketball operations, which is obviously a no-go for me. He needs to be fired, you know, outright. At the same time, it looks like there will be some changes, so hopefully you get that Colangelo contingent of, you know, the lackeys, Alex Rucker and Ned Cohen, the frig out of here. So that's a big plus. But my worry is that they don't bring in a true president of basketball operations over Brown, a true, true, you know, one man decision maker, one woman decision maker who 
can actually carry these things out. Not a situation where we have this collaborative front office where there is zero accountability. Everyone's deflecting blame. It's like when Howie Roseman and Joe Banner are together and a player sucks and goes, well, that's a Joe Banner pick. The player is good. Oh, that's a Howie Roseman pick. The same thing is happening with the Sixers. It's everyone's fault and no one's fault in the front office at the same time. And keeping Brand there, reshuffling the jet the deck chairs as they have been doing since they fired Colangelo only reinforces the players' thoughts about the coach where they said there's no accountability on this team, this organization. That goes above Brett, above Brett and extends the front office overall in terms of accountability. Yeah, so here's what I would say. I, I generally agree with you on this and that, like, you know, this is a collective failure and nobody should be immune to either criticism or actual consequences whether that's losing their job or you know even if it's demotions etc i would say if there's someone that's probably least to blame or that has at least has the the most plausible deniability of the people in the front office i would certainly say that elton is that guy you know he's brought in and he's the fresh-faced guy and nice guy like very personable Right. Well, not even that part of it. I like I think that as the the first time guy, as someone who's fresh off the league and like transparently as the most prominent black man in the front office, he's coming in there thinking like, all right, I can't step on too many toes right now. And, you know, this is uh, they did. I was hired like, you know, the things that we talk about, Seamus, where they did leave Colangelo's guys in place. Ellen is as aware of that as anybody else is, right? Like, it's not a thing where it's like we on the outside see that and Elton's not aware of the situation in which he was hired. Like, Elton, for whatever mistakes you think he made or personnel decisions you think he might have been responsible for over the last couple of years, he's not a stupid guy. So he understands that the context for his hiring is – hey, maybe I'm not like the strongest voice in the room. And and with that, and as a former player who there's obviously always the stigmas with the type of executives that they make after their playing careers, I think that that probably factors into, you know, the the collaborative front office that they had and other people maybe having more of a say than they should have. Now, again, I will say that does not mean that that means he should stay. I it's hard for me even on like the quote unquote inside to parse through what he's responsible for versus what he isn't, who he's listened to versus who he hasn't listened to enough. But if you're just looking at this from a, like a logical point of view and trying to disentangle all the the wires, the cables and what have you here then I think you could say, okay, there is a world where Elton can stay and lead and the Sixers end up better from it. Uh, Do I think that that's the most realistic outcome? Probably not. But all I'm saying is, and again, I understand your perspective 100%. If I were in your shoes, if I'm in most people's shoes, I get it. But because I kind of see how the the sausage is made, for lack of a better term. I, I I do think that maybe he gets some benefit of the doubt, just a little bit, but not much. You know, if he was brought up, I would say a little bit slower in the organization. If he was someone who, you know, I think he may have gotten that general manager 
tag a little too quickly as someone who had just previously served as uh, the GM of the 87ers for, I believe, just one season. So we had one season of, I think he had done some you know other roles within the organization, maybe as an ambassador previously after he had come back for that you know half season in 2016 or whatever to serve as this quasi-mentor. So I think if he was on a normal trajectory and didn't just get that huge bump to GM a little bit too quickly, I would have no qualms with him staying inside the organization. Uh, even if there was a new chief president of basketball operations person that was joining the organization now. But as someone who's been there as a decision maker and who has been assumed to be a lead decision maker in the past, keeping him within the front office to me is an issue in that there will still be some murkiness, some clouds around who is making each specific decision. And then there will eventually be leaks saying, well, this was an Elton Brand you know, free agent signing. This is a player Elton liked in the draft. This is a player that, you know, president of basketball operations asked liked, and then that absolves Elton of any blame. So my issue there is even if they were to bring in this new president of basketball operations, what I don't think is a guarantee that to do, there is still that element of no accountability that, again, trickles down from the top with the ownership who I've made, you know, my displeasure with known time and time again to the front office and... There isn't a new head coach in place, but it seemed even Josh Richardson had just said this yesterday, there is a lack of accountability there on the coaching staff. So I think this move reinforces the lack of accountability within the organization that has been running rampant for nearly three years. So here's what I would say. I think there are only two options here in terms of front office the decisions and structure where they come out of this looking better one you have to you have to empower like actually empower elton promote him to a president of basketball ops type position and wipe out the front office failing that elton cannot cannot be involved with the front office restructuring you hire an actual president of basketball ops whether that's some guy like they they managed to lure Daryl Morey away, which that was a thing they tried to do in the past. If they get someone like uh, Mike Zarin from the Boston Celtics, so on and so forth. Like these are just guys that we know that they've talked to, let alone people they could put in that kind of role. And that guy or girl, for that matter, uh, steps into that role and decides what they want to do. Whether that's with Elton Brand, whether that's with the rest of the front office firing them. Those are you cannot move forward with. Okay. Elton's the GM and we're going to hire a bunch of other people and they'll say this and do that. Like you will bring in, assuming they let people go, you will bring in uh, lead people in certain departments. Like they're most likely, most likely will be a new leader on uh, the analytics side. They're most likely will be maybe like a new cap guy uh, and go on down the list of the types of people that they'll bring in. But unless they empower completely Elton Brand or unless they completely empower a a new person that's coming in and has carte blanche to do whatever they want I agree with you they're not going to end up in a different place especially from a public perspective where people are, are even further removed from the chain of command they're not going to gain any trust back with uh people on the outside I mean what level do or does I should say Elton Brand have what's your what's your 
stake as someone who is well-connected both within the organization and around the league. How does the league view Elton Brand, other executives, other teams, other coaches, other reporters? So I, I think generally the characterization of him has been correct when people talk about him. Like he's a hardworking guy. He's a, sure. a smart guy and he's he's well-liked. Now the well-liked thing is something that is hard to parse, right? Like if you're asking executives around the league and they say, hey, oh, I really like this guy. Some of them will say that because they genuinely do like that person. Like they think they're they're nice and they'll, they'll like working with them. And as we ran into with Sam Hinkie back in the day, the, the relationships in terms of being able to execute deals and so on and so forth, that stuff matters. But if it's a, hey, we like Elton Brand and the subtext there is, we think he, we can t- play him for a fool and, and get one over on him on the trade market. Well, then that's not uh, the type of thing you want to hear. So I think that part is harder to parse. But uh, again, I, I think even when he was a player, he was well-respected for his work ethic and his approach to his craft. I, I, I don't think that there's like – this isn't a situation where he's like some uh, trust fund kid who just inherited no, certainly a not. job. Like I, I, I certainly would never use that characterization uh, with Elton. It's not a Colangelo, right? <laughs> you went and said it, but yes, that's what I was implying there. So yeah, Elton is very much not a Colangelo. He's a guy that works for what he has, and you know, for whatever you can say about whatever his instincts are as a talent evaluator, scout, etc. He, he's certainly putting in the work. So uh, I'm interested to see. Um, what happens in terms of if he gets bumped up, if somebody else gets brought in and he happens to hang on. I do think, and we didn't get to this yet because we pretty much blew right past uh, Brett Brown. I think it was really interesting, and (laughs) air quotes around interesting, that Brett went out of his way to praise Elton on the way out but not say really anything about the other front office members, including the departed Brian Colangelo, while he also gave a shout out to Sam Hinkie. So, you know, if you want to read between the lines there, I think there's a lot going unsaid that is actually saying something. And and I think it says a lot that the guy who is expected to stick around and ostensibly has a hand in Brown being gone in the first place is someone that he's still expressing at like a lot of admiration for on the way out. Well, the the downfall of the roster management, not necessarily the team overall because they started winning games after Sam left, but the downfall of the long-term plan and roster management begins with Brian and you know Brett's not an idiot. Uh, I think he's well aware right. of that too. Yeah, and, and you know, as someone who sat in the meetings and was like sort of the lead guy during that 2018 off season and had to juggle some different roles, he knows what the composition of that room looks like, and he knows the personalities of those people better than anyone. So, if, if here's what I will say to the fans at home: if Brett went through those last couple years and he still comes away offering that sort of and this is like a full-throated endorsement 
of Elton Brand. This is not, so I'll read the exact quote. He said, and finally, current GM Elton Brand, who I coached and worked for, he is a high character talent that the Sixers, the 76ers are fortunate to have. I sincerely wish him, the players, and the next coaching staff my very best in their pursuit of an NBA championship. So like that, it's very clear. He is drawing the line in the sand where he is rooting for Elton Brand and maybe no one else. And I think that's very telling. So we will, uh, we're going to take, Seamus and I are going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsors and then we'll be back to talk about uh, where the Sixers go from here. So I'm here to tell you about our friends with TheraOne CBD. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it's like to be tense and sore. As someone who sits at a desk all day, I certainly can tell you what it's like to be tense and sore. And everyone can benefit from TheraOne CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but they still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. If you use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and you can even use the sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne CBD products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun.com slash bluewire. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels, and never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. We're recording this on Monday, so you're listening to this on Tuesday. By Tuesday, there would only be 19 days to the first NFL Sunday. That's insane. That is crazy. It's really, you know, we've probably said it a hundred times on this podcast, but this year has either felt like it's moving at warp speed or insanely slow, depending on uh, the day. And the approach of football has definitely made it feel like, holy shit, where did this whole year go? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, anyway, I don't feel like football starting, but I'm so excited for it. I, I'm i a little split on that, but that's a... Uh, why That's a story for another day i thought you're gonna I, you have to get direct tv we're both excited for football yes i am excited for nfl sunday ticket i'm less excited about uh a shitty sports league like the nfl with all the issues that it has uh trying to wade through this crisis without altering much of uh how they do their business but that's a uh 
that's a broader topic for a different podcast and uh let's just say i'm i'm hoping that everything is off without a hitch because i don't want it to turn into the oh it's a sports writer he's rooting against uh football coming back so that'll be the end of that uh on back to sixers stuff uh, i guess now the only other big thing moving forward brown is out that's been done it seems the writing is on the wall for a bunch of front office guys that you know the writing should be on the wall for them and now the question is who do they bring in as brown's replacement and i know that i have floated his name several times uh, over probably like the last month or so on podcasts with you seamus adrian wojnarowski did so again today uh, but Tyron Liu appears to be, if he's not the prohibitive favorite, he's at least one of the front runners. And I guess, like, how do you feel about that? Like, do you have many strong feelings about Ty Liu and how he compares to, say, you know, Jay Wright or Ime Yudoka? I do have strong feelings about him. Uh, I'm actually a little pro Tyron Liu. I wouldn't say I'm jumping into the deep end of the pool cannonball style for Ty Liu. Uh, I'm a little worried that I like him and the, the team is so gung-ho to hire him, which seems like a negative to me. You know, Howard Eskin praised uh, Ty, Ty Lue on Twitter, which also makes me think maybe I shouldn't like him coming here. But <laughs> we're a great guy in L.A. under Doc Rivers, great coach. Uh, has won a championship as a head coach. People say, well, he had LeBron. Do you know how hard it is to manage the personalities of both LeBron James Kyrie Irving, and even I forgot Kevin Love, who was a former superstar who got relegated to a role-playing role in Cleveland. Maximize those other role players in Matthew Dellavedova, Tristan Thompson, those types of guys, J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, while in Cleveland. And it seems he had some actual X's and O's acumen. I, I would recommend our listeners go check out an article uh, written last week by Mike O'Connor, who's now writing for the Rickies website. Uh, laid out some great arguments for Ty Lue, and uh, while the optics aren't great in terms of we're hiring the guy Allen Iverson stepped over, if we can all get beyond that, I'm okay with that hire. I think it's I think it's much easier for the team to hire a shitty coach than it is for them to get a you know a good one. I could see them going this you know Mark Jackson or Jason Kidd route that's going to make me you know go ballistic. You know Jay Wright. I, I don't I don't know why Jay Wright would leave the perfect job for a terrible job. I also think. I think we had discussed this a little bit earlier, but I agreed with you in terms of text message uh, that you Jay doesn't really have a concrete offensive system, and that's something the Sixers really, really need, and I definitely agree with that. While I love the idea of having Jay Wright as the coach, it doesn't seem you know, neither realistic nor pragmatic. Uh, Mark Jackson, Jason Kidd, they can all take a hike. You know, There's some assistant coaches. Some I'm really into the recent ex-players. Uh, Contingent as you know, possible coaching candidates, your Sam Cassells, your Ty Lues, those types of players. Uh, I think there's something to be said about having a young black head coach that can probably relate to the players a lot more than Brett Brown could, which is an indictment of Brett. It's just you know, stating the facts. So if they're going to go a route like that, I would not uh, be opposed at all. Yeah, so while we're talking about Mike's article, I can tell you that I published a several thousand word coaching candidate breakdown immediately after Brett was fired because this was something that I was sort of I didn't have enough time to check that man. For. 
So that's I, I would tell our listeners that obviously read I'm that not one first. Not to read. I'm not going to tell you not to read uh, Mike O'Connor because I like Mike a lot and I think he's a a smart smart guy with a lot of important things to say. Um, so on Tyron Lou, I, I agree with you and like the general concept of you know it doesn't necessarily need to be a recent former player, but I do think they need someone with cachet. And part of the reason that Jay Wright uh, would scare me beyond the, you know, making the leap from college to the NBA is the fact that, you know, I don't know, like we have no priors for Jay Wright dealing with egos and not being like Jay Wright on Villanova's campus is the biggest man on campus. He generally doesn't even recruit five-star type players he gets three and four-star guys and and builds them up and that's a situation where the kids need him sometimes even more so at least as much so as as jay needs them and so that's like that's a very different dynamic that he would have to adjust to in the nba where like you know ben and joel are they think they're the kings of the world and they need someone who is going to cut them down to size a little bit, but not do so in a way that's patronizing. I think that that's a tough line to walk, especially if you're a guy leaping from college for the first time. And again, the the offensive system stuff where, you know, I think it's easy for Jay Wright to run the stuff that he does in college when he's running out like a four guard lineup with a six, eight center versus whatever the Sixers are going to have next year. So uh, on the Ty Lu front, I've discussed this on the podcast before, and I did some more digging over the last, let's say, week or two. And Lee Jenkins, formerly of Sports Illustrated, now I believe works for the Clippers, actually wrote about this when LeBron was named SI's uh, Sportsman of the Year. The Ty Lu actually got into a like a altercation with LeBron James during game seven of the 2016 NBA finals, like everything is on the line. It's the time to, you would think to be calm and keep everybody kind of, you know, make sure there's nobody's on edge. And Lou before halftime essentially challenged LeBron and said, you got to be better. You have to stop. I think Draymond Green had made, he made a ton of threes in that game, which is something he never does. And Lou personally called on LeBron to do a better job defending him to the point that it became uh, a thing in the locker room where LeBron's going over to other assistants. And the assistant coaches said to LeBron, like, you said you were willing to be coached. Listen to the head coach and look, Cavs go on to win that game. That's a big flashpoint in Ty Lu, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving's career. And that is the type of mindset of the coach that the Sixers need with these guys. As you said, Seamus, I think he has done well. Maybe not from like a broader building a system perspective, but certainly in making mid-game adjustments, which is something that uh, I know you were particularly upset with Brett Brown for, and most of the fan base was uh, upset with him for. Sure. So uh, I, I think... Of the names that are going to come up, I don't know that there's going to be a better mix of the things that they need than Ty Lue. And so I think if he ends up being the front runner, I personally think that that's like it's a defensible and arguably smart direction to go in. This is the theme of the podcast for me accountability. What 
I'm not into the inner workings of the organization, but from everything that's been leaked, maybe you can speak to it a little bit more. It seems like Brett Brown didn't have much of a backbone when it came to standing up to both Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. It seems like, to me, from the outside, they have the ability to essentially walk over most people in the organization. And I think Tyron Lue brings some of that accountability to the team, and I think... You know, I don't want them to hire some hard-ass coach like Tom Thibodeau, but I think someone like Ty Lue could present that type of, I don't want to say accountability for the 4,000th time, but has a demeanor where he's willing to question what the two of them are doing, just as he questioned maybe the greatest player of all time in the middle of Game 7 of the NBA Finals and what may have been the biggest game in the history of the sport. So you brought up a really important point, Seamus, that I want to stick on for a second. And that's the idea that accountability doesn't mean you bring in a guy who's just going to bark at players. And like, correct. If that's, if that's all accountability was Scott Skiles would be one of the best coaches in the NBA, but it's about much more than that. It's about being able to hold guys accountable about motivating them about making them buy into whatever you're doing, whether that's your defensive system, whether that's, hey, you're gonna play this role, operate out of this area on the court, et cetera, et cetera. Doing that and, and not necessarily being a peer to these guys so much as you're like the leader of the team from the bench while also maintaining the personal respect, the personal trust, and the relationships you need with guys that makes them want to buy in in that way. And so it's it's not like in college where, you know, the coach to some degree is judge, jury, executioner, and they can do basically whatever they want. And the players don't really have a choice because the way the NCAA, which is a total fucking scam, is set up is that if you speak out, then it's like, oh, well, you're a it reflects poorly on the player and the coaches are protected for, you know, various systemic reasons. Um, and so I, I think there needs to be, you do have to walk a balance. And I think of the guys that are going to come up, Ty Lue has probably done the best job of doing that. Obviously is going to be one of, if not the only finals winner who's going to be on the market. Um, somebody who, whose name came up when I was asking around around, about this was Dave Yeager, who's former Memphis and Sacramento head coach and flamed out of both places. Now the circumstances were a little weird in both spots. I think in Memphis, he clashed with the front office and actually asked for permission to interview somewhere else after his first year there. In Sacramento, they canned him after the best King season in a while and obviously they are kind of a mess so you don't necessarily put that on him but he's had dust-ups with players with buddy healed with marcus soul like all kinds of different people and different personalities and so accountability can't mean that you're going to clash with people you do have to get along with people to to be a successful head coach so i i don't know who else is out there that's going to bring that outside of Lou. 
I can't speak enough to the other candidates other than, you know, I don't necessarily want Dave Yeager. It looks like he wore out. Again, there's it's a lot of circumstantial contextual stuff, but it seems like he wore out his welcome. Obviously, they aren't the two most well-run organizations in the world, but to be frank, neither are the Sixers. So I'm, I wouldn't be too hyped up about that hire. Right now, I'm leaning Lou, but there's always the chance there's this, you know, up-and-coming assistant that me as, you know, no one, not someone who's tuned into all the inner workings of the league all over isn't totally aware of so as for that right. and from the, from the obvious candidates the assistant coach problem yeah. before too right like it's hard to know what a lot of these guys are capable of but from the people that Woj and Shams are you know hinting at the Sixers potentially hiring it looks like they're locked in on Ty Lue and I can't disagree with that decision as much as the fact that the Sixers are interested in him scares me yeah, it's like one of those things where you question your own judgment because you're ending up on the same page as people that you don't really trust all that much. So, exactly. Uh, I, I guess we'll see where it goes from here. But I, I think at least, actually, one other guy we have to get into is Yudoka, who obviously was on Brown's staff, came here with a great reputation. I'm curious where you fall on him. And I wrote about this this evening. I think the problem I have just as a like a broad concept here is that, you know, if Yudoka was this guy who was going to be the voice holding people accountable and if he had some great tactical nuance to add to the team, it feels like that would have shown up already, right? Like he was the defensive coordinator essentially this season and None of the schemes were any different. It was still what Brett Brown wanted to do with dropping the big. And, you know, we saw how that caused the problem for Philly against Boston. And, you know, I didn't see, like, again, nobody has spoken badly about Ime. And I, I, I'm i not saying that he can't be a successful coach, whether that's here or elsewhere. But it does feel like if he was going to be like, oh, yeah, that's the guy who's going to quickly push us forward that maybe we would have seen that manifest in some way over the last year could be a great coach elsewhere can't claim to know a lot about him but they need a culture change i don't see how promoting a guy from within accomplishes any of that as we have seen over the last couple of seasons with the sixers organization overall yeah uh, and one one more thing, which we'll get into this in future pods, because this is going to dominate our conversations for a while. Regardless of who they bring in, this needs to be a major wake-up call to both Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I would say more so to Joel Embiid, because, you know, like Ben with the shooting stuff, obviously, that's probably the signature issue with the team and regardless of who the coach is that has to change he's been working on it he's been talking about it and the results need to come but in terms of being a tone and culture setter for the team ben showed a lot more with his approach to the defensive end of the floor than joel did this past season and i think Something that was apparent to me in the Boston series, and I'm not blaming their loss in that series on Joel exclusively, but in spite of the fact that he's putting up numbers and you come away like, wow, he did all this and they still got swept, his effort on defense was fucking bullshit in that series. There are 
long stretches of those games where he's barely trying. And like some of it was on scheme at times, but I can tell you once they made the adjustment and they said, we're not dropping, there were times when Joel just didn't feel like visibly didn't give a shit about coming up to show against pick and rolls and let guys walk into shots. And he has to be, if they're going to win a title, I, I don't even necessarily care about the offensive stuff. They need he a lightness load be, offensively. They do. And they need him to be a defensive player of the year. However many games he plays, if he plays 82 games, if he plays 30, whatever minutes, every fucking minute he is on the floor, he has to be bought in on defense. That has to be priority number one. If that means he has to drop weight and that's going to facilitate him, like better conditioning is going to facilitate his better effort on defense. If it's spending less time focusing on offense in the off season, if it's, you know, turning him into more of a, the way the bigs are going these days, like a pick and roll guy where, you know, he's not having to back guys down and that gives him more energy to use elsewhere, whatever it fucking takes. I don't want to see him next season coming in and like lollygagging through not just possessions, but quarters and halves and entire games where he just doesn't give a shit. That is, they are not going anywhere until he carries himself as a leader for the entire time that he's on the floor. And I say that with the most respect I can have for his talent and what he's given this organization and what he's capable of. People should not see criticism of Joel Embiid as like this big, like he's never going to win anything and blah, blah, blah. He's capable of winning fucking everything and he hasn't committed in the way that he needs to. And if you're a fan of this team, of, of Joel Embiid individually and this organization, you should demand more of that guy. He needs to give more. And that's something that I think was really clear watching that series. Totally agree. I think conditioning, number one priority for him and maybe the Sixers organization overall this offseason. Yeah, so look, whatever it takes in terms of leadership, coaching, front office and all that, that's all well and good. They obviously need to make some serious personnel decisions in the months to come, especially when you consider the roster's fucked and they have the luxury tax uh, stuff hanging over them. But it all really needs to start with the two guys who the program's built around. And until that happens, I've seen enough, like, I don't want to say I've seen enough from Ben because he still has his issues, but I really need to see more from Joel. And I think a lot of people when they reflect on this will agree with that. So uh, that's about all I got Seamus. I don't know if you have any more stray coaching thoughts, but nope, that's it for me. I'm good. I'll have more later, but for now, yeah, obviously. Uh, before we go, I wanted to tell you once again about our friends at Bet Online. Somebody said playoffs, not with the Sixers, but NBA and NHL teams are playing for the gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. Major League Baseball is pushing into the fall, where the Phillies bullpen will probably still suck. And there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports. And remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day, all night 
at betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week. Uh, I hope everyone is not too angry about (laughs) the not everybody being fired. We will keep you plugged in to whatever's going to happen next. And until then, stay safe, wear a mask, and enjoy some Sixers downtime in your life. Everybody ought to go.